Welcome back to the 161st episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including two that talk about the upcoming strikes, or at this point they have already begun. So the UAW, United Auto Workers, versus their parent companies, and then also a article talking about the current change going on in Poland around abortion rights. And of course, we will end today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. So, in this new age of non-human production, that is most definitely coming with AI, with automation, what is the role of a union in that future? Is it even more prominent because it's protecting the workers? Do unions just dissolve because there's no longer enough workers in order to create a union? And most of these companies that would use unions, you know, heavier industries where the conditions are dangerous and the people need to unite because otherwise they don't necessarily get paid enough to or don't have enough value to the company because they're easily replaceable cogs. Do they just dissolve because now those cogs are just machines within the greater machine? I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. Throw your comments down in the comment section. I'd love to hear what you have to say. So, our first article comes from the New York Times. Battle over vehicles is central to the auto strike. So, when they say vehicles, they are talking about EVs or the future vehicles that these companies are going to be going into here very, very soon. So this is obviously on the top of the mind of the union. This is something that they're going to have to face. It's a reality that these companies are going to have shifting demographics of who wants to consume their cars as they also start to align themselves with some of the government incentives and social incentives to have more EV cars. But also there are certain limitations or certain things that change in the production process because of that, obviously. And I don't want to detail all of them right off the bat. I do want to let the article kind of develop a little bit. But some of them are going to be real concerns for these union workers. Quote, a battle between Detroit car makers and the United Auto Workers Union, which escalated on Friday with targeted strikes in three locations, is unfolding amid a once-in-a-century technological upheaval that poses huge risks for both the companies and the union. The strike has come as the traditional automakers invest billions to develop electric vehicles while still making most of their money from their gasoline-driven cars. So I'm going to pause there. That is a really important point to make out here, which is a lot of these companies are actually taking losses on creating these electric cars. They are in the stage that Tesla was in for a few years where they couldn't actually cut the cost enough. Tesla for a long time had a problem with you know saying oh it's going to be a hundred thousand dollars for this roadster and then it ended up being a hundred and twenty thousand and they had to whittle down over time really make their processes more efficient you know make the supply chains a lot more efficient start doing things in-house in some cases in order to make it cost effective to make an ev car the other companies ford gm stellantis they're not there yet they haven't had this time to whittle down to the bone and really make the best car at the cheapest price that is still you know, offerable to a wide variety of customers at a very low price range. So they're losing money, which means that this is a 
time when maybe you shouldn't as a union this is either one one or two things either one it's a great time to press a little bit deeper to really shove the knife into the side of the companies because they are having a hard time and they need these workers to stay on while they're going through this transition they don't want to be training new workers who aren't as experienced they need some of those union leaders or people who have been in the union for a while because they have the experience and maybe they could be really informative in creating the new processes for these other cars but also it could have the inverse effect which is the time when the companies need to tighten the belt and they may not be able to concede to the unions and they may just have to shut down the factories that are unionized now i think that's a long shot it's probably not going to happen that way it probably is more advantageous for the unions but just because it's advantageous for the unions doesn't mean that they're 100 percent going to get what they want because there is that other restriction of hey we're in a huge transitional period right now and you're asking a lot of us and this may actually encourage us to go on a more mechanized route rather than having union workers we may try to have a completely automated factory for these ev cars because we may see that the risk of having a union round when we're going into this new technology set is going to be a problem and that's why the union is trying to say no 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 we want to guarantee that we'll be working on these electric cars and we will be involved in the process that's one of their demands but it's hard it's really hard for ford to justify not at least adding some more automation when you have a large contingent of your workers walking out and saying no we're, we're not going to put up with this we need more money and ford's like yes we have been making record profits over the last few years but we're also losing a lot of money on the largest growing segment and we have competitors from overseas and we have a local one which is you know socially it's all over the place everybody loves teslas and people have their gripes with teslas no doubt but it has social and cultural power. So Ford, GM, Stellantis, they're looking at this like, oh, this is such bad timing. So, quote, the negotiations will determine the balance of power between workers and management, possibly for years to come. This makes the strike as much a struggle for the industry's future as about wages, benefits, and working conditions. This established These established car makers, General Motors, Ford Motor, Stellantis, which owns Chrysler, Jeep, and Ram, are trying to defend their profits and their place in the market at the face in the face of a stiff competition from Tesla and for, foreign automakers. Some executives and analysts have characterized this as happening in the industry, and it's also part of the biggest technological transformation since Henry Ford's moving assembly line started up at the beginning of the 20th century. So yeah, 100%. They're at that pivotal point. And just like Ford created a new system where you have everybody on a line and each part is added as you go down and it's built up you know, at each individual station, they may look at some of Tesla's innovations where a lot of the work is done by machines and they may say, okay, this is the time to reinvent the assembly line again, even though it's not really reinventing it, but reinventing the car assembly line and having it done by a lot more mechanized labor and the thing is well you would say well maybe this mechanized labor won't actually and let's be clear this is my take on how they would go about it it doesn't mean that they're actually thinking this i have no insight whatsoever and there haven't been any leaks from the company saying they're 100 percent going to go automated but if you had access to an algorithm that could analyze the most efficient way to do certain processes that can think 10 times faster than management who would normally in the past have to come up with these creative solutions on how to 
make uh, a really difficult rivet on the inside of the car, which is normally done by people rather than a machine. Now you have all these learning machines and algorithms that are able to actually predict things, and maybe they can use that same knowledge of how to do something or the best way to do something to actually determine what the best machine to do that would be. So then these algorithms could actually give a predictive uh, claim of what the machine that would have to do a certain task would look like. So as we move into this time when we've obviously had CAD and modeling and things like that, but now we can have AI programs actually analyze all of the mechanics in CAD rather than having to have real life information like a human being would and say, oh, well, we, this doesn't work, blah, blah, blah. Since CAD is so comprehensive and it can actually calculate all these things, imagine sending an algorithm through CAD that could completely prototype new machines that could actually create or help in the process of creating these cars and it could test them over and over and over again thousands upon thousands or millions a day millions of different scenarios a day you no longer have to have that person with a real life experience union gone you no longer have to have that worker on the assembly line if it comes up with a viable mechanical solution worker union gone so you see where I'm going with this and when the union presses too hard we may see Ford take this path which is not necessarily the right thing to do when you have a very loyal group of people. The union actually took a lot of pay cuts, or at least they stopped having deal negotiations from, I believe it was 2008 or 2009 until 2015. Like These people have stuck with these companies. And there is a certain part of me that's like, hey, companies don't screw them over. Don't do the Yang thing where we're going to go completely automated. But also, you can see from the company's perspective, if you're going to have a union constantly pressing the wound, then why not eliminate the need for the workers that are part of the union and therefore eliminate the influence of the union? I, you know, that's I could see uh, both sides, and I, I stand with neither of them because I think it's too intricate, and I think that just standing on one side of it outright is not actually the right thing to do. Analyzing both sides, understanding where they're coming from, and allowing them, you know, not prosecuting either side in the court of public opinion, but allowing this to play out and let them find the best solution is going to be the way to do it. Rather than just saying, no, the union should get everything that it wants or the company should get everything that it wants. So, uh, so there's one part of the negotiation or one term that I wanted to highlight here that I thought was important. It kind of goes along with this EV notion because that's really what this article is focusing on from the very beginning. Quote, the transition to EVs is dominating every bit of this discussion, said John Casilla, junior, senior manager director at the investment firm Gogaham Partners, sorry if I mispronounced that, who previously headed strategy at Ford Motors. It's unspoken, Mr. Casilla added, but really it's all about positioning the union to have a central role in the new electric industry. Under pressure from the government officials and changing consumer demand, Ford, GM, and Solantis are investing billions to retool their sprawling operations to build electric vehicles, which are critical to addressing climate change. But they are making little, if any, profit on these vehicles, while Tesla, which dominates electric car sales, is profitable and growing fast. So yeah, you have Tesla, which has the incumbent or the first mover advantage, but also you have these companies that can hire people away from Tesla or people that were at Tesla when they were fixing a lot of these problems and they can actually 
you know, with the resources they have, they can scale up faster than Tesla did. Does that mean that they'll catch up to Tesla? Not necessarily. The first mover advantage is a big advantage, but it also comes with the fact that you're going to have people who were there who are going to want to leave and get be paid more by these huge manufacturers to guide them as they get into the game. So considering the amount of resources these companies have behind them, while I do think they are taking a loss now, I think they're going to catch up very, very quickly, as we've seen with a whole bunch of different cars coming out. Now, are these cars that are electric, are they profitable? No, but they're at least on the right path, and by actually trying to create these cars, they are therefore improving the technology, they're constantly doing R&D, they're finding problems in their own process, they're having it highlighted by people from the outside, so on and so forth. So I think they'll catch up pretty darn quickly, and they already have a huge lead when it comes to the amount of cars that are being sold in the United States. The only segment that they really don't have a good lead in is EVs. So, you know, we'll see how that one plays out. As I talked about a lot, and the reason I highlighted the EV aspect a lot, is because I have a second article that comes from the Wall Street Journal. And its headline reads, A UAW Strike Made in Washington. So you may be thinking, whoa, 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 what do you mean made in Washington? Is you know, Washington pressuring these workers to get better wages? Is that the NLRB that's pushing the National Labor Relations Board? Is it uh, more pro-union legislation or regulations that have come down during the Biden administration and while all of those things you could definitely think them and maybe they would be the most straightforward kind of idea that oh this this was a strike made in Washington maybe the UAW headquarters is in Washington it could be that simple but no this author is actually saying it a completely different way they're coming at it from that EV perspective that we talked about in the last one which is when you have a government incentive in place in order to create a new segment of the industry or to bolster the new segment of the industry, in this case, EV cars, then you put pressure on these companies to develop these new technologies, which then is going to displace, or these new processes are going to displace some of the old workers. And then the union, since it represents the workers, is going to push in order to make sure that these workers are displaced. So while the government is very pro-union, they're pushing something that is actually making it harder for the union to have influence if the companies create these new processes where unions are involved. Therefore, the union strike, striking in response to the companies following these incentives, that is started in Washington. That was a really convoluted way of saying the incentive structure is such that companies need to move to EVs and workers don't want to be left out of that transition to EVs. So, if you don't know, Fain is the current president of the UAW, and he has a very interesting perspective on what's coming down the pipe. Quote, this boils down to one thing. It's corporate greed, Mr. Fain declared. The UAW is calling walkouts at select plants to minimize how much he has to pay his workers from its $225 million strike fund while still causing pain for automakers. On Friday, the union targeted three truck and SUV plants that produce some of the automakers' most profitable vehicles. Mr. Fain wants a larger share of automaker profits, but Detroit's big three say his demands would make them less competitive against non-union car makers like Tesla and lead to losses. 
He wants a 36% pay increase over four years, a 32-hour work week with overtime for additional hours, the restoration of retiree health benefits, and defined benefit pensions rather than 401ks for all workers, as well as cost of living adjustments. So that that's a pretty long list. And let's be clear, when you are hitting for a home run, sometimes you don't necessarily get it. And I think Mr. Fain in an ideal world would get all of them once all of them. But I think he also realizes in a realistic world, you really have to shoot for the fences in order to at least get something that you want out of this situation. The one that I think is really that, hey, we're really pushing for this. We're really putting it on there to actually symbolize that we, we care about this, but we know that's going to be cut is the 32 hour work week. Um, I don't think corporations are ready for it yet. I, I think we have seen studies. I've been listening to a few different people like Kyle Kalinske and you know uh, Crystal from Breaking Points. They are very, very insistent that the 32-hour work week studies have shown that productivity goes up, happiness goes up in the employees that participate in it, and a lot of them wouldn't want to go back to it. And whether or not those statistics truly bear out, I... I don't know for sure. We've only had a few studies more recently. I think that is really a negotiating thing where they're saying, oh, no, no, 32-hour work weeks, we have to have it. But at the end of the day, they're willing to cut it for some of the other things. I also think that you know, 401ks, while they're not as good as pensions with the defined benefits, definitely not, I definitely think that's another one that they'll probably throw out the window for the most part. The thing they probably want the most are cost of living adjustments and the wages. That's just my op opinion. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that that is 100% true. Uh, the health care one is one of those middle ground ones where it's like it would be helpful. It would be important. But I think they also realize that it's a little bit unrealistic. But we'll see. We'll see. So Fane, he's asking for a lot. And I think he has a lot of negotiating chips and a lot of, you know, far-hitting ass that won't necessarily go through but like I said he's got to swing for the fences so these are a lot of big things that he's asking but there's the one that I didn't mention which is being involved in the future EV technology and this is where the author tries to highlight this this strike is made in Washington quote in many ways this strike strike is made in Washington because of the Biden administration's policy mandating a rapid transition to electric vehicles the UAW knows that EVs require fewer workers to make and will jeopardize union jobs making gas-powered cars. But the companies already lose money on EVs and worry about making too many concessions to the UAW that will cause them to lose even more as they are forced to build more EVs. It's hard to overstate the cost of this coerced EV transition. The Biden administration, with California as its co-enforcer, is mandating that EVs make up an increasing share of automaker sales, two-thirds, by 2032. California and other progressive states plan to ban all new gas-powered cars by 2035. So, you see the incentive structures that are in place. You see Washington putting its thumb on the scales and saying, hey, you have to have a certain percentage of your cars be electric by a certain time. Now, will they actually be able to thoroughly enforce that? Will it actually be realistic? Will there actually be the demand for it? Probably not. So the government may have to step in again and give another incentive to people that are down the line. But how this applies to UAW, and like I was saying earlier, 
when you can't necessarily 100% determine what the supply and demand, or I take that back, you could probably determine the supply because you'll know what you'll be creating as an automaker, but you can't necessarily understand what the demand will be asking the union asking you to increase wages to basically solidify certain benefits and the protection of certain w union workers in the production of those certain cars when you can't even tell how much money you're going to make because you don't know how many people on the consumer end are going to buy them and how much you're going to be able to sell them for yet and how much profit you're going to make from them yet because you haven't made your processes efficient yet you're basically putting a gun to their head and saying no matter what happens, no matter how unprofitable it is, no matter if you're making $100 per car or $30,000 per car when you're selling them, we want our guaranteed benefits. And Ford can't, they're Ford, you know, GM, Stellantis, that's kind of putting their feet to the fire. And like, so you want us to make a guarantee. We don't even know how it's going to pan out yet. That is just something we're not going to do. That is bad business sense. That's like saying to your family friend, Oh, yeah, I'll be able to give you a $300,000 loan down the, the road. And then you don't know if your company will still be selling at that time. You don't know how many people, how many consumers you have. You just started up. You don't have data that actually looks at that. Or you just entered a new industry and you only make $10,000 a month. When it comes down the road to that $300,000 where you said, yeah, I'll give you a loan for that. You don't actually have the resources to do it. So you're promising something that you don't know if you'll be able to fulfill. That is so stupid. And when it comes to business sense, there's not they're not going to do it. They're not going to make those concessions to the unions when they don't even know how things will play out. So you can see how the being made in Washington, these incentives that are in place that are forcing unions to say, hey, we want to have our slice of the pie is putting auto companies in a really hard spot because they want to keep some of these workers. They probably do, for the most part, value a lot of their long service, and they don't want to screw over the unions and have them all strike. So, But also, they know that they have to ramp up this EV production. They just don't know how much they're going to be able to get out of it. So if they were to follow the normal market incentives and they would have a good understanding as things arose rather than being forced to have a certain percentage of their cars be EVs that they're selling – Maybe they would be able to appropriately say, okay, well, we see the growth in this industry. We have financial projections, so we know that this will probably work out this way, blah, 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 versus this is the end goal. We don't know if we'll actually get there, but we're being forced to reach towards it, so we can't actually predict the in-between. That, you know, that's dangerous, and I think it's just more government getting involved in companies' lives, and I don't necessarily love it. And I do still kind of empathize with the union workers because, yes, the government is saying that a certain amount of cars have to be EVs, forcing these companies to go this way. And the companies, they're trying to keep their profits in place, so they're probably going to be a little bit skimpy. And then the workers are going to get screwed for it, or at least the workers aren't going to get the wage that they believe they deserve. And it's just it's sad to see the, the state that everything is going on, you know, the state that things are in. I'm not a huge fan of unions from the very beginning. I feel like they can be very coercive to their members. I feel as though they can be very detrimental to employers who are just trying to do the best that they can. But I also do understand workers alone who are easily replaceable, and especially in industries 
where you could just hire somebody else for a non-skilled job, I, I do understand why unions have cropped up. I still don't think they're the best, but I understand that people want their voices to be heard, and sometimes they feel as though it can't be on an individual level. So we'll see how all this plays out going forward. I know I say that with all the articles, but I'm not trying to make a prescriptive claim. I'm not trying to say it's going to go one way or another. I'm just trying to make a descriptive claim, which is we see how it is, and maybe it will work out differently than anything I said here. Maybe I'll end up being right. We will see. Just keep your eyes and ears to the ground. I've said that a few times this week, but it's true. All of these things are developing, and the only way you're going to be keeping up to date is if you're looking for it because some things like this don't always get reported. So let's go to our final article that comes from Common Dreams. The headline reads, Polish anti-abortion witch hunt targeting patients and doctors could be copied by the U.S. So, for those of you that don't know, Poland is kind of the... If you look at the European Union nations, it's the one that has the most right politics. Uh, you could uh, maybe argue that it's bordering on nationalism. There was a, a rise, a little flutter. I believe it was in 2018 to 2020 when there was a lot of nationalist sentiment. I don't know if that's 100% accurate. I know it happened within the last six years. I don't remember the exact timeline. But there's also the right politics, the people that are on the right there in Poland who are pushing their agendas. And obviously, restricting abortion is on the right side of the agenda. It, it normally falls to a very right-leaning government in order to restrict those abortion rights of patients and doctors. And I use the term abortion rights here because, you know, I don't necessarily know if abortion is a fundamental right but that is the term that is used, and I think that it at least aptly describes what the people in Poland who are experiencing this would see it as, which is their right to an abortion, how they would frame it there, is being restricted. And the Common Dreams article obviously believes that it's a right, so we're going to use that framing throughout so we're at least consistent. Quote, Human White Rights Watch an international group headquartered in New York City released details of conversations with patients, doctors, and attorneys about experiences with reproductive health care in Poland since January 2021. When a politically compromised constitutional tribunal's October 2020 decision banning nearly all abortions in the European Union member state took effect. Abortions are now only permitted in Poland for pregnancies resulting from incest rape, or to protect the health or life of a pregnant person. But, as Common Dreams has reported, multiple Polish women have died over the past two years after doctors declined to provide legal abortion care. Their deaths have sparked nationwide protests and demands for legal reforms. End quote. And this is one of the, the key arguments that you will hear and you heard after Roe v. Wade was overturned in the United States, which is, Doctors are afraid to do these different procedures because they don't know whether or not they will be held criminally liable. They're, the question of health of the mother is a very delicate one. Some people say that if a mother will go through depression or have mental health issues, that that could threaten the life of the mother, and that could justify abortion. Now, the more uh, people that are a lot more restrictive would say, no, unless she is dying on the operating table, then you can't 
have that abortion. You can't terminate the pregnancy in order to save her life. So there's a large spectrum here of what people considering consider health and life of the mother. And it's a very vague term as well because I'm assuming the legislators don't want to necessarily lock themselves in to one or the other. They want to be able to have wiggle room to have the courts to find things later on and also so that they can seem like they're trying to be moderate rather than saying it's one specific instance when it's okay they just generalize it to health and safety of the mother and they also might not want it to be too restrictive so that doctors can perform it in certain situations that might be a little bit gray but the argument always goes from people that want to have more abortion access which is doctors are afraid doctors don't know where the line is so they're not performing these surgeries and some women have died because of it and this is of course the legal gray line that gray area that happens when the law is not properly defined and when people are scared about it because it's in the culture. So it's one of those things where, yes, we're probably going to see lots of cases or lots of stories because it's the framing that's like to be that is liked by one side or the other. We're going to see a lot of this coming into the United States. Probably we're going to see more stories like this as more activists on one side want to highlight it and want to bring it to the forefront and want to push the law in one direction or another because they don't like the certain restrictive practices of different states. So you'll see a lot more stories like this going forward. Make sure you understand the context of them. I, I would advise you read a little bit further into this article because it does specifically talk about the law and will it be coming to the United States. But I don't want to spend too much extra time on it because I want to jump to our daily delight and we're almost at that point where I like to cut to the end. So let's jump to our daily delight that comes from News 18. This dog's happy dance is a admirable and adorable mood lifter. So, you know, someone, you know, used to send me some videos. Actually, someone recently sent me a video of an excited dog that brought me a lot of joy. And I wanted to bring a little bit of that joy, a little bit of those good vibes in a video like that to you. Quote, this exceptional dog takes her happiness to a whole new level with a unique talent, dancing. Recently, a viral video doing the rounds on the internet captured a hardening moment as a dancing of a dancing dog named Bailey. And you know, honestly, her form is phenomenal. It is just pure elegance. The article talks about how she's doing twirls, she's doing back and forth motions, and the video is absolutely amazing. If you have time, go look for it. If you want to see it or you want to read any of today's other articles, there's a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Podvine, as well as the Twitter handle, at your daily flip, where I post a Twitter tirade every Tuesday and Thursday. With that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.